Steve Donahue, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Podcast, helping you build your legacy. This episode is number 260, and this is going to be a recording of a message that I preached recently to the church in which I pastor from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And if you want to get additional information about that passage and outline, as well as some other resources, make sure you check out thelegacypodcast.com, episode number 260. Thanks for listening. Right before Christmas, there was a Wheaton College professor who uh, made it in the news. And the reason she made it in the news is because she said that over Christmas break, uh, she was going to wear a burqa in solidarity with her Muslim brothers. And uh, she, of course, uh, is teaching at a Christian school, Wheaton College. And as you might imagine, because she said that, and she went on to explain that uh, she believed that the Muslims uh, and the Christians worship the same God. And um, as a result, there has been some a great deal of discussion on the airways regarding what to do with her and whether she is going to be able to come back to her job uh, after. And I have not really kept up to see whether or not uh, she is going to go under disciplinary action or not. But it, it raises an interesting question. And that question is this. Do the Muslims and the Christians worship the same God? If you ask most people in the world today, they will say yes. But that's not true. And we will see today that there has always been and there always will be false teachers. Those who deny the reality of what the scriptures teach. So how are we to determine whether something is a false teaching or not? Can a false teacher hold to those false teachings and still be a Christian? We should be able to answer those questions, hopefully, by the end of our exposition of this passage. And we're looking in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And what we find first in verse 1 is we find the command to test the spirits. In other words, we are not to believe every spirit. We're not to believe everything that is taught, but instead that we are to test what is taught with the scriptures. It says in verse one, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, I think it's interesting here how John phrases this. He does not say, I want you to test every doctrine. He says, test every spirit. And I believe what he is doing here is he is he is bringing out the idea that there is a spiritual battle going on. 
We do not see what is taking place behind the scenes, but we understand from the scriptures that there is a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces at work. When someone teaches a false doctrine, it's not based upon their own teaching necessarily, although certainly sometimes it can be. But behind the scenes, it is a battle of spirits. And so what does John say here? He says, test the spirits. Do not believe them all, but test them. Christians are to have a healthy skepticism towards any teaching and thus be like the Bereans. You remember reading about the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 after Paul had gone to Thessalonica. It says that he went to Berea and it says the Bereans were more fair minded than the Thessalonians. In chapter 17, it says they were fair minded, more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And so what was it that distinguished the Bereans from the Thessalonians? It was that they searched the scriptures daily. They tested what Paul was saying. You know, one of the most beautiful things that a pastor hears is the thumbing through of scriptures while he's preaching. Second best thing is hearing babies cry. Okay. But the the first best thing is hearing people go through. Now, sometimes I know it's people still trying to find out where I'm preaching from. And so they're trying to find the book in the Bible. But a lot of times what it is, is that they are actually testing to see whether I'm not saying they're looking at their cross references and they're looking at other passages and a lot of things that, That's a beautiful thing. That's what the Bereans were doing. They were testing. You shouldn't believe everything I say. You should test with the Spirit. You should test what I'm saying. Anytime someone just believes wholeheartedly, anytime someone says something, they're going down the wrong path. And so he makes it very clear. Test the spirits. And why is it that we are to test the spirits? He says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Can we say amen to that? Certainly there have been many false prophets. There have been false prophets from the very beginning, and there will continue to be false prophets to the very end. And so we are to test the spirits. How how do we know if something is genuine? Because we know so well what something that is genuine looks like that we're able to see the contrast with something that's not genuine. This is the same thing that happens in the banking world. If you take a, a bill and you pay a cashier for something with a $100 bill or even nowadays sometimes even a $20 bill or $50 bill or something like that. They take a little marker and they mark on it, right, to see whether it's genuine. If you go to somebody who is an expert in counterfeit money, it's not so much as though they know all the different varieties of counterfeit money. They know so well what a real bill looks like that they're able to see the falsehood. And that's the way it is for us as Christians. We need to know so well what the scriptures teach. We need to know so, so well what the, te- what the truth is regarding the scriptures that we can see the false teaching when it is done. There is a general acceptance of most teachings today as long as the speaker is good, engaging, and passionate. That does not necessarily, though, make for truth. And unfortunately, we live in a culture today where um, entertainment and truth sometimes um, is, is the same thing. And um, it's not always. And just because something is entertaining or just because something is spoken in a way that moves you or is passionate or something like that does not necessarily mean that it is of the right spirit. And so it is important for us to be able to test 
the Spirit. So he gives us the command to test in verse 1. But then how are we to test? What is the standard by which we are to test things? He goes on in verses 2 and 3 and identifies the first of the content of our test. And that is proper confession concerning Jesus. Proper confession concerning Jesus. We see this in verses 2 and 3. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, it says here that you can tell whether uh, someone is genuine if they confess that Jesus has come in the flesh. Now, um, certainly in our day, there are other tests. Paul or John in writing this was dealing with a, a false teaching called docetism. And docetism carried the idea that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that he just appeared in the flesh. That doceo means appeared in Greek, and so that's how they get the docetism. It means that he, he wasn't really in the flesh. And so what John is doing here is he is dispelling that myth. He is saying, no, Jesus indeed come in the flesh. In fact, if you read in uh, John's gospel, he says uh, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the whole concept he's trying to present there as well. The same thing. And that is that there is this there. There was a teaching that was taking place in John's day that denied the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. Now, we have similar things today. But I don't think that what we are to do from this is say that that means that if someone believes that Jesus came in the flesh, they can believe whatever else and they're okay. No, I don't think he's teaching that. He's dealing with the conflict of his day. And certainly there are conflicts of truth today. And I wanted to just kind of give us a brief history lesson. And I hope uh, this is brief enough. And I hope that you're not too... um, uh, too confused after the time that I mentioned this, but I say this because for centuries, from the very beginning of the establishment of the church until now, and certainly indeed in the future, there are false teachers who uh, have a, a distorted view of who Jesus is and what we are to do. Of course, the early church had to deal with antinomianism, that is the idea that, uh, that the law was bad, and Gnostics had this view. I've already mentioned the Docetists. There was the Ebionites. You don't have to take all these down necessarily unless you want to. But the Ebionites were Jewish Christians of the first to fourth century, and they denied the preexistence of Christ. They believed that the entire Old Testament law was necessary for salvation. The Marcionites. Uh, Marcion was a second century heresy that taught a strong distinction between the vengeful God of the Old Testament and the gracious God of the New Testament. Marcion formed a separate church and became a rival to the Orthodox Church. And what is important about him is that he taught Gnosticism. He taught that Jesus was not born into the material world. So here we have it again. Two centuries later, they're dealing with the same thing that the Docetists dealt with. And that was that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He just appeared to be in the flesh. The Gnostics, I'd already mentioned that. Of course, they had a Docetic view. The Monarchianisms, if you want to break that down in language of the word, you can see mono means one, archianism means ruler. So they have this idea that uh, they have a wrong view of the Trinity. They denied the personal distinctiveness of the Son and the Holy Spirit within the Trinity. 
And it came in two different forms, one of which was modalism. And that was that uh, God can be the Son, He can be the Holy Spirit, and He can be the Father, but not all at one time. And so He kind of changes forms. That's the idea behind that. And so many of the church councils that took place over the centuries dealt with some of these false teachings. And uh, so, for example, you have the First Council of Nicaea in 325. It condemned Arius and established the Nicene Creed, which you've probably heard before. And if you look at the Nicene Creed, a large segment of that is taken up in dealing with who Jesus is. And the reason for that is because they had to nail that out because there was misconceptions and false teachings. And so they had to write down what the church had been teaching. And uh, Arius, who they condemned at that council, says that there was a time in which Jesus was not and that he was a created being. And so the Nicene Creed declares that the Son is of one substance with the Father and that he is begotten, not made. That's the language that comes in with that. And then there's the First Council of Constantinople. That was in 381. And it continued to, def- uh, to defend against Arianism, Arianism and then also Apollinarianism. Again, these are long you know, Latin names, but... Um, It expanded the section of the Nicene Creed dealing with the spirit. And so after the Constantinople Constantinople Council, say that one a couple times, um, you have a longer Nicene Creed because it has to expand upon the Holy Spirit. So what you see over history is you see these creeds coming out, helping to define more faithfully what the truth was. Because there would be a group that would arise and say, oh, we don't believe this. And the church would have to say, no, 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 that's, that's not right. We believe this. And so they'd have to write that out. And so at first you start off with the, the creed, Jesus is Lord. That's all you needed. Because if you testify Jesus is Lord, it puts you to death on the stake and you were part of Christians, right? But then as time went along, they had to define that more and more. And so now when you look at doctrinal statements, they're pages and pages long. Why? Because we have to clarify all these different issues that come in throughout history. Now, one thing that I think is important to note, that, note though, is that every single false teachers have had an erroneous view of who Jesus is. And that's true today. You don't have to look far to come up with an understanding. In fact, uh, I began with the illustration of the the uh, Wheaton College professor who said that Christians believe in the same God that Muslims believe in? It can't be. Because the Muslims have a totally different view of who Jesus is than Christians do. And so it, it can't be. It can't be correct. In our day, there are still false teachers that confess things about Christ that are not true. Many of these old heresies had just resurfaced with other names. And so... Uh, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, they're basically just monarchianisms and modalists. And by the way, it's interesting to note that many of the illustrations that we try to use, analogies that we try to use to try to clarify the Trinity actually are are not true. Say, for example, have you heard before the, the, the way to describe the Trinity is it's like uh, H2O. And H2O can be vapor, it can be ice, or it can be water. See, isn't that great? It's just like the Trinity. Well, you know the problem with that is? It can't be all three of those one time. And so what is that? That's modalism. It's a false doctrine. And yet we, you know, we say those things just, well, that's an easy way to explain the Trinity. That's not the Trinity. <laughs> now, the, the, the reality of it is, there is no analogy that 
carefully and accurately describes the Trinity. Every time we try to do it, it um, results in one of these distorted views. So, truth matters. So what do you confess about Christ? Some confess falsehoods without really knowing it because they're unaware of true doctrine. The way in which we can make sure that we are not falling under the, the, uh, the banner of false teaching is that we know so well the truth. Know the Bible and what Jesus is in it. And what you confess about Jesus is not a minor detail. It is sound doctrine. But in case we might get discouraged, he gives us some confidence. In uh, verse 4, he gives us the confidence that we will pass the test. Verse 4, he says this. You were of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, just in case we might think that the false teaching is so prevalent around us that it's, it's impossible for us to escape it. He actually tells us, no, because the spirit that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. And we have given, he has given us victory over it. Christians have built in a defense against false teachers. You know, it's, it's similar to our immune system. You know, God out of his grace when he developed us and designed us as human beings, he put within us an immune system. So that when we're exposed to all kinds of germs and all kinds of bacteria, we have a defense against those things. And did you know that every day we are exposed to millions and millions of germs? So why don't we get sick all the time? We don't get sick all the time because we have a defense against it. We have an immune system. If you talk to somebody who's been through chemotherapy and their immune system's really down because their white blood cells really down, they've got to wear masks and they're not supposed to go out and thought, why? Because their immune system has been jeopardized, compromised in some way. Well, that's the way it is with God's spirit within us. It is an immune system for us so that when we are exposed to all these false doctrines, we don't fall to them. Why? Because God has given us his spirit. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It reminds me also of uh, what it's like um, when we are afraid of taking a test. I don't know how any, any of you have ever been afraid of taking a test. Some of you, it's been a while since you took like a high school or college test or something like that. I understand, but uh, maybe you've had to take a professional test or maybe, maybe you've had to take a medical test. You know, you've gone in to get that colonoscopy or whatever it is, right? And, and uh, you've had to take the test and, and you're a little bit afraid of what the results might be. Uh, well, you know what the good news is? The good news is we don't have to be afraid because we have the spirit of God living within us. And that spirit of God is greater than the false teachers that are about us. We don't need to worry about, um, you know, falling under the, the, uh, the deception of the false teachers because God's spirit illuminates for us the truth. And we will be able to discern error from truth. Now, is it possible for us to sometimes mess up? <laughs> it is. And just like with an immune system, sometimes it's possible for us to get sick even though we have that immune system. And the Bible says that when we involve ourselves and engage ourselves in sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's as though we, we make ourselves more susceptible to those false teachings. Um, but we can have confidence that God is faithful and he will keep us from falling. And then in verses 5 and 6, we come to the content of the test too. In other words, we saw earlier that one of the content for the test was the proper confession of Christ. 
Here we see another content to the test, and that is proper communication concerning authority. Proper communication concerning authority. We see this in verses 5 and 6. It says, They are of the world, therefore they speak as the world, and the world hears them. They are of, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now one thing to point out about this that we don't see necessarily from our English text is that in the Greek text, uh, the, um, the actual personal pronouns are emphasized. Now in English... You can't see that unless we were to make a bold print or something like that, but it doesn't say that. I mean, in Greek, it's really kind of neat the way they do it, is you can emphasize something by word order. In other words, because it's a declining language where you know which goes with which based upon the ending of the word, you can put one of those things way out front, which emphasizes it. You can also emphasize a word by um, making the, the verb that has the subject actually in it just stand alone, which doesn't emphasize it. But if you actually put the subject with the subject and the verb together, it emphasizes it. Well, in Greek, you've got both in this sentence. Now, what that means is that he is emphasizing the distinctiveness of the different groups. So notice again, as we read that, what it says here. It says, they are of the world. So you might read that. They themselves are of the world. Therefore, they themselves speak as of the world. And the world itself Here's them. So what is he doing here? He's trying to communicate this idea that there is that there are different natures and those different natures respond differently to the various authorities, the communications of those authorities. It reminds me of what he says in his gospel, John chapter 18, verse 37, when uh, Jesus is before Pilate and uh, Pilate is uh, inquiring as to whether Jesus is the king. Jesus says this, you say rightly that I am a king for this cause. I was born and for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who hears the truth here or everyone who is of the truth. hears my voice. Why? Why is it that those who are of the truth hear his voice? Because their nature is such that they do. Why is that those who are not of him do not hear his voice? Because their nature is such that they do not hear him. Communication is vitally important. It's so important that um, it, it goes into every aspect of our life, whether it's marriage, whether it's business, whether it's uh, theology. Communication is important, And in that communication, it, is, it matters as to what the nature of the individual is. How many times have you been preaching the gospel to someone and you've explained it great? You've communicated exactly who God is and you've talked to them about the faith and you've talked to them about repentance and belief and who Jesus is. And they just look and you say, yeah, I don't believe that. And then you'll, you'll barely say something to somebody else. And they'll say, oh, I want to be a Christian. And you're like, how in the world? It's because their nature was different. They were receptive to the word of God and the other ones were not. True believers will communicate the word of God and the apostles teaching. Those who are not will not. False teachers either reject God's word or they add to it 
something or a little bit of both. John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20 says this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So what's he saying? He's saying the world loves those who are like the world. The world loves those who are of the nature of the world. But he says the world hates those who are of a different nature, those who are Christians. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You see the difference there? The communication that one has will impact only those who are of the same nature as that communication. Does that make sense? So, Mormons have the Book of Mormons. They have the Pearl of Great Price. They have the Doctrines of Covenants in addition to the Bible. And so they have all these other sources of authority that they communicate. And so they do not believe the same truth. Same thing with uh, Seventh-day Adventists. You talk to many of them, and they will claim the writings of Ellen White are of supreme authority. And so uh, their communication is different. The same thing with the Roman Catholics. They have uh, the Pope's ex-cathedral declarations. Now, you know what that is, the ex-cathedral declarations. That is the, the concept that came about that when the, the Pope sits upon his chair of judgment and he declares something from that chair, it is the same as if Jesus were to say it. So it comes with the same kind of authority. Now, there's only been two in all of history of the Pope's ex-cathedral declarations. And one was by Pope Pius IX in 1854, and it was dealing with the uh, Immaculate Conception of Mary. The second one was in 1870, and it was by Pope Pius, or I'm sorry, in 1950, and it was by Pope Pius XII. Interestingly enough, both were Pope Piuses, right? One was Pope Pius the Ninth. One was Pope Pius the Twelfth, and um, it had to de- deal with the bodily assumption of Mary. And so both of them had to deal with Mary. And so, what are we to do with these things? Are, are we to accept that authority as being the same authority as that of the Bible? Are we to accept the teachings of Ellen White? Are we accept to the teachings of the the Pearl of Great Price or the Book of Mormon or all these other? Extra authority type teachings? Are we to understand the communication of those things as having the same authority as that of the Bible? No. And so we are to to have a proper understanding of the authority. Isaiah chapter 8 verses 19 and 20 says this. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter... Should not the people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So what is Isaiah teaching there? He is saying the same thing as what this principle is. And that is that those who communicate the truth of the authority of the word of God, They will communicate only with those who understand the truth of the authority of God. 
Those who do not will communicate something else. I know it's kind of difficult to, to understand this, but it's because of the nature of the individual that the communication is communicated the way that it is and received the way that it is. Probably one of the best ways to understand this is uh, to look at the parable of the soils. And I'm going to give it a little bit of a, a twist to, uh, to make it even more clear. But if you remember the parable of the soils, you had the sower who went out to sow. And some seed fell along the path. And it says the birds came and snatched it up as soon as it was sown. And it says some seed fell on the rocky places and sprang up early. But because it had no root, as soon as the sun came up, it scorched out and it did not bear any fruit. And it says some seed fell among the thorns. And it says that the thorns grew up along with it and choked out the seed. And it didn't bear any fruit. But then it says some seed fell along the soil, the good soil. And it bore a crop 30, 60, 100 fold what was sown. So uh, it is the same thing with the response to the word of God. Some will deny it outright. As soon as you preach the gospel to them, as soon as you communicate the gospel to them, they won't want anything to do with it. That's the seed sown along the path, right? And then uh, those would be atheists, pagans, Muslims, you know, that kind of thing, right? And then some will accept it on the surface, but will eventually show they didn't really believe it. Those are those who are what I call nominal Christians, those who make a profession of faith, maybe those who show, uh, you know, show up to church a few times and then they're gone, right? And then there will be some who will accept it along with a lot of other things. Those are the ones that are sown among the tares. They'll accept it, but they, because they do not accept it exclusively, uh, they bear no fruit. We must be willing to accept and to preach the Bible as the revealed word of God, the supreme and only authority in our life. Jesus repeatedly said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why did he say that? Because there were some who by their nature were not able to understand the communication of his authority. And so they wouldn't believe. And the same thing is true today. There are those who will believe because God, by his grace, has made their nature change so that when he communicates the word of God to them, they will believe. But there are others who they won't. So how do we understand this principle that it is the communication of the authority of God's word that enables us to be able to be tested as to whether or not we believe. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, Paul says it this way, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Can we not say that that is the state of many today? Where they've turned aside to fables, wanting their ears to be tickled with things that sound good that may not be the truth? And we must guard against that. We live in a culture today that if you say something is a false doctrine or you say something is heresy, that you'll be called judgmental, intolerant, narrow minded. But my friends, the scripture is clear. We must not believe everything, but we must accept uh, or accept every teaching or teacher, but must test the spirits whether they are from God. So how do we do this again? 
thereof, thereof God if they are right in their confession of Christ and if they are right in their communication of authority. So what must we do? Well, I think that if we are serious about our own life, we will see areas in which we have uh, failed to accept the authority of the Word of God, where we have brought in others' authority. Maybe, uh, you know, sometimes when I clean windows, I'm, I'm out and about, and they'll have a television on. And particularly this week, I was aware of some of the television episodes that were on, and Dr. Phil was on in the afternoon. Now, I, don't, I don't know if any of you all watch Dr. Phil or not. But there are some who take his word to be gospel. And it's not. And that just might be a, a minor detail. But there's some of us who, who take other matters as more authoritative than the word of God. We can't let that happen. And so we must repent of that. But also I believe that there are times in which uh, we fail to adhere to proper doctrine of who Jesus is. And we... We get a, a distorted view of who he is. And so it's important, it's imperative for us to be able to study the scriptures, to understand fully and completely who Jesus is so that we know the difference between right and wrong. And then believe the truth about Jesus. Rest fully and completely in the authority of the word of God. It is sufficient. Let's pray. Our country is lost, and it's not without cost, for there's many who struggle every day. And I think that it's time we start crying for our nation and bow our heads and pray. If today you lost your life, what would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? One day we'll wither away And to this world we'll have to say goodbye But just like the plant that withers away We will leave many seeds behind If today you lost your life What would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? If today you lost your life, what would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? What will you do to change your legacy?